Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Uh, today, I have a very special guest. I, I felt I can't have a podcast with ADD in the title without having a doctor on who can talk about that with us. And this is the one guarantee that I'm going to make this year on this podcast. And that guarantee is she is the only pediatrician in the state of Oklahoma that sat in front of me in Mr. Epps Honors World History class. <laughs> there is no other. I dare say physician that can make that claim. So anyway, <laughs> it's Dr. Casey Hester. She's a pediatrician. And Casey, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, your career and, and all of that stuff. You bet. It would be my delight. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. We've come a long way from uh, our time together in Mr. Epps class and what would that have been? Maybe around 1990? Mm-hmm. 90, yes. Yep. yes, perhaps long before some of your listeners were even born. And certainly all of my patients were born. <laughs> yes, so. yes. <laughs> yes. So hi, everybody. I am uh, Casey Hester. I grew up in Midwest City with your wonderful host here. Um, went to medical school at, o, at OU, went to both undergrad and medical school at OU, and now practice as a pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Oklahoma. I have been there for my entire career, so that's been now close to 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. What I do there is I serve as a general pediatrician, and I also have some administrative roles, which is a, a, a really fun part of my job as well, too, where I am the residency program director and the vice chair of education for the Department of Pediatrics, Sweet. which basically means, yeah, which is fun. I get to uh, to help young, young doctors form uh, their career paths, so... That's great. Um, it is definitely a treat to be on here. And, uh, you know, I see quite a bit of, of ADHD. And so happy to answer questions that you have and sort of talk about my experiences and best practice. Okay. Um, I guess starting out as a parent, what signs should you look for to, you know, think, oh, my kid might have ADHD. Maybe I should go and talk to the, the doctor about this and see if it's a diagnosis that can be made you know, as from the parent side to get them to go to the doctor to talk about, about that. What, what should they look? For? Yeah. So they should be looking for, and, and the one most people think about kind of classically with, with ADHD really, cause it's, you know, it's, it's in the definition um, is a hyperactivity. And so a lot of times people will think if their kid seems, you know, we talk about driven by a motor or can't sit still these kids are just sort of jumping around all over the place. That's the one that um, that's sort of the classic symptom that brings mm -hmm. people in. But um, as you know, there are other symptoms as well. Some that parents probably don't think about as much. And that's really inattention, distractibility, kind of acts like a daydreamer, maybe seems like they don't hear well. 
Um, and so really any of those can bring people, can bring people in. Mm-hmm. I know in, in my case, I, I hyper-focus on things, which people don't realize is also a part of having that. And I can be, if I'm focused on something, my wife can come in and she'll talk to me. And then I'm like, hun, did you say something? She's like, you're the only one in the room. Who did you think I was talking to? And I'm like, but I was reading, you know, I can't do both. Right. And that hyper-focus sometimes even develops as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. right? So your brain is, is prone to want to be distracted by everything. And so it almost adapts really over time as, as really a coping strategy to help you focus. And in order to do that, you have to kind of learn to really shut out all the other sounds and influences and stimuli. Um, and so, so that is, um, that's something we may see, especially more in older children and young adults. Yeah, it was, I wish I would have known about that before I was 47, that aspect of it. Cause all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, the flashbacks in movies, all of a sudden, every ADD moment I'd ever had went before my eyes. And I was like, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> so. So, but I yeah. love it. That's, but you know, that's that's what you're doing here, and that's why you're you're educating your listeners. So yeah, um, yeah. it's actually one of my favorite things to see and to treat because when it is properly diagnosed and treated, um, and and people kind of go through the steps for it, it can be incredibly rewarding and life changing for these kids. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. there have grown to be you know controversy around medications and things like that, but. Um, in, in its simplest form, it, it's something that can be very, very rewarding, both to you know, take care of as a patient and also as a parent, when you see your kid finally succeeding in life and in mm-hmm. school. Yes, yeah. My, uh, my poor wife is the only you know, the term neurotypical person in the house because I have ADD. My eldest daughter has it. My son's on the spectrum. And then my youngest daughter, she, she's got some of everything. She's diagnosed OCD. She has ADD. And it's like, wow, she just ran the gamut of everything. And uh, so my wife's the only one who doesn't have these issues. And she's been in a house full of, of all of us weird brained people. But <laughs> You know, I, I find a uh, quote, weird brained people are often the um, kindness, kindest and most creative people. Yeah. And you know, anymore, I think, I think years ago when you and I were growing up, it, I think we just I think the diagnoses were missed. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's much more prevalent today because we're actually recognizing it and we're looking for it and we're asking about it. So right. when kids come in for well child checks, you know, we're not just asking about, you know, is any is anything hurting or aching? We're looking at their growth, we're looking at their behavior, we're looking at their school performance, and sometimes that's how the diagnosis of ADHD ultimately comes about. Yeah, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but don't males and females present differently uh, sometimes, or I, I don't know, whatever the ratio is. Yeah, yeah, they, they certainly can. Certainly males are diagnosed with it more frequently. And I think that goes back to kind of one of the first things we talked about, sort of the, the hyperactive little boy, right? It's mm-hmm. the little boy that can't sit still. And, you know, is this ADHD? Is this, quote, typical uh, active little boy? And so, you know, we're looking for, people are looking for that classical symptom of being hyperactive, being crazy, running around, very physical. And so girls uh, can certainly 
present like that, but um, as, as, as often as not, they can be seen as like the daydreamer or more just a little bit more quiet about things or the distractible. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I think, I think most people are, are pretty good about linking the hyperactive driven by a motor bouncing off the walls. Oh my gosh, please sit still for two seconds. Uh, and that just is, is how boys typically present. Right. Yeah. My, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. What you're no, saying. I was just going to say girls are usually diagnosed later, like an average mm-hmm. of even five to 10 years later than boys are. And it, it's really only when it presents as school issues mm-hmm. sometimes. Right. And it's like, Hey, why, you know, why aren't you doing well in school? And then the testing, the testing happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my nephew, my sister's youngest child, he has ADHD. And if they could power their home off of his energy, they'd have free electricity forever. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I, I understand because he's, he's a lot how I was at that age. Um, he, he's a great kid. And he was recently put on medication for it, which is you know, trying to figure out the balance and everything and how to get it to work and all that. They're still going through that. But it, the medication has helped him. And like you said, finding out with girls later is how we should have known with my youngest daughter because she's just the younger female version of me, we should have known that that was an issue. And when she was in fourth grade and she came home and she said, I got moved again because I was talking too much to the people that sat next to me. And she's like, but haven't the teachers figured out I will talk to whoever sits next to me. <laughs> she knew herself. That's for sure. Yeah. We, we should have known before uh-huh, she was a that, teenager. That light, bulb, that light bulb moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you know, I don't know kind of what people want to hear the most about, but, you know, I can kind of go through what would happen at a typical visit if yeah, somebody yeah. came in and said that they were worried about ADHD. Yeah. Um, and the, the the naming of it has changed over the years, which makes it a, a little bit um, confusing as well. Now we call it, now we call all forms of it ADHD. It's just the mm-hmm. subtype. So it's attention. Um, uh, deficit hyperactivity disorder. And then if it's, if they don't have the hyperactive portion, we just say with inattentive subtype. So those are the mm-hmm. kids that are just distractible, but aren't bouncing off the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there can be the hyperactive subtype only. So then you have ADHD hyperactive uh, subtype, and then you can have the combined subtype, which is they're both distractible and hyperactive. So there is a series of questions, a questionnaire that physicians will use. And most often they use what's called the Vanderbilt scales. They were obviously Mm -hmm. developed at Vanderbilt, but fun fact, um, the physician who developed those scales while he was at Vanderbilt actually practiced at OU and Mm -hmm. ran our child study center um, for many, many, many decades before he retired. And his name was Dr. Mark Woolrush. And he was very much a national expert on, on ADHD. And so I had the good fortune of getting to train under him. Um, and so really kind of got to learn at the knee of the expert, the That's awesome. uh, sort of renowned expert. Um, and he has written the, the practice guidelines for the American Academy and Pediat- of Pediatrics. So um, there are definite diagnostic requirements. Mm-hmm. So when we have a kid come in and a parent says, I'm worried about ADHD, Obviously, you kind of want to get a good history, which is the first thing, you know, what makes you think this? What are the behaviors like that makes you think this? 
and we can give those questionnaires. Um, and usually we have their teacher questionnaires and caregiver questionnaires. Okay. The requirement for the diagnosis is they need to be above four years of age. You really can't, because a lot of times people will come in and say, my two-year-old is just bouncing off the walls. And so, you know, they may very well end up developing ADHD, but we really don't diagnose it before age four. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, then there also has to be, the screens have to be positive in two separate areas. So you can't have a child who is perfectly well-behaved at school, but then maybe the parent's screen is awful. And they're like, oh my gosh, this, you know, it's just terrible at home. He's bouncing off the walls. And the teacher says, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, very well-behaved, sits still and gets the work done and does well in class. Um, then there's a discrepancy. So if there's a discrepancy in location, we don't make the diagnosis. Okay. And so the other thing that the screens do that I think is very, very important that I think people don't think about very often is there are a lot of things that can masquerade and look like ADHD. Just like what you talked about, there are other things that you might think and you might not even think of ADHD. There are things that your brain may go straight to ADHD, but it's like, oh, that's not what this child has at all. And okay. asking the series of questions really helps us go through that process of figuring out, does the child have ADHD? Does the child have something else? Or does the child have ADHD and something else? Because there are a lot of, there are a lot of um, conditions that actually coexist with ADHD that are common. Right. And so the questions that the, the Vanderbilt questionnaire, the other, um, the other diagnoses that it sorts through are things like anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. oppositional defiant disorder and conduct disorder. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a child who has just isolated ADHD and they don't tend to have any other, any other issues, or at least that the screen that show up on the shows up on the screen, those are the kids that predictively are going to do better with the medications. Okay. So if you have a whole lot of other things, like if you have a lot of anxiety, if you have a lot of conduct, you know, there's some conduct issues um, and that's things like being destructive or being violent or, you know, harmful, then, you know, that, that really requires kind of a higher level. And sometimes those kids will need to go on and certainly have therapy and maybe even see a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So the one thing I do really want to be very specific about is anxiety, because mm-hmm. I think especially with little boys, we tend to think if they are moving around and fidgety all over the place, that, well, that has to be ADHD, right? They're a little boy. Mm. But when you think about how anxiety looks in children, what is the work of the anxious? They're busy, right? They're mm. up, they're moving around, they can't sit still, they can't eat well, they're, they're constantly needing to distract themselves from pervasive thoughts and worry. Right. And so as pediatricians and as caregivers, we have to be very careful that we're not misdiagnosing anxiety as ADHD, especially Mm -hmm. in boys, because it's not as common. People don't think about it as commonly in little boys. Okay. And so a good care provider, yeah, we'll go in and we'll, and we'll sort of tease all that out. And sometimes we have kids that are anxious and they have ADHD. And then that can be a little bit tricky to treat because we haven't really gotten into treatment options yet, but 
the, um, the, the treatment that works the best is typically with a stimulant. And so when you give a stimulant to someone who's anxious, that tends to not help their anxiety. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so usually what we do in those cases is we look and say, okay, what is causing this kid the most distress? Is it the anxiety or is it the ADHD? And they're treated differently with different medications. Obviously both are treated with therapy and those kids need to be in therapy as well. But we start with the one that seems to be causing the most concern and decreasing the quality of life the most. So if they're really, really anxious, constantly worrying and, you know, a little bit hyperactive, then we start with anxiety medication, maximize mm -hmm. that, and then work on the ADHD. That makes perfect sense. That's why there are doctors. It, you know, that's, yes, I think so. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes parents too, parents know their kids the best of all. Yeah. They really do caregivers. And so you, you need to find a, a provider always, not just about ADHD, but that's really going to listen to you and partner with you because, um, you know, treatment, treatment options, there are quite a few, and it's always helpful to, to be able to partner with a family and partner with a physician that's going to present all the options because there aren't really right or wrong answers. It's just what works best for the kid. Right, right. Every, every case is unique and different, just like everybody is. But still, overall, that's been very informative. Uh, I appreciate you going through that, obviously. And I, I'm not even sure that now my brain is ADD and, and just completely turned off. But <laughs> hey, that's, you know what? That's, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if, you know, it was just such a stunningly good uh, explanation, or maybe I just put you to sleep. That's well, possible. I, to my so brain, I think, my, is my, so my apologies, dear listeners. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, we can also talk a little bit about treatment if you sure, like. Yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, that would be great. I know that, you know, sometimes the treatment for ADHD can have a bad reputation as far as, oh, we're just kind of throwing these kids on stimulants. And if you think about it, if you back up a little bit, it doesn't make sense, right? You have a kid that's already hyperactive and we're going to put them on Ritalin, which is stimulant. Mm -hmm. So people who are neurotypical and don't have ADHD, you give them Ritalin and they are going to be amped up. They're going to have all kinds of energy. It's going to be uncomfortable. They can't sleep. Um, and for reasons we still don't know yet, stimulants with the, with the ADHD brain tend to have an effect where they allow the brain to sort of slow down and focus mm -hmm. on one area and help with that distractibility. Um, and so, you know, neuro, neuropsychiatric and neurochemical researchers much smarter than I are still working on that um, and have yet to elucidate a real answer. But what we know is that it, it really does work um, mm -hmm. for a large majority of the patients. And so there are some rules with, um, or some guidelines, I would say for starting medications. So yeah. with the little ones, with young kids, we always start with counseling, right? Help mm -hmm. them work through their feelings of kind of discomfort and help them be able to focus a little bit. The other thing that happens with these kids is, as you may know, is sometimes they can develop almost a reputation at school. Mm -hmm. So they can be the reputation of the troublemaker of the kid that's not smart because they can't focus at all. And so they don't make good grades and children can really begin to internalize this. Right. And so yeah, it's like, sure. I'm the bad kid. I'm the dumb kid. That's my role. 
So I might as well make the best of it. So I'm just, you know, the dumb talker. Right. And they can truly, you know, this is where, you know, it's, it can just be devastating to watch. You have a kid who's, you know, intellectually very bright, wonderful kid Mm -hmm. whose brain just needs a a little bit of assistance with the focus. Um, But instead, then they kind of internalize all of that. And you have a lifetime of, of not achieving their potential and, and, and being unhappy um, when there really was kind of a solution all along. So I think it's very important for teachers to be able to help parents recognize. And a lot of times it is the teachers when the parents come in, they say, Hey, his teacher wanted me to, wanted me to tell you that, you know, she's worried about potential ADHD for my daughter or for my son. Yeah. I, I don't think I have an elementary school report card that does not have the phrase is not living up to his potential written on it. <laughs> so I, I completely yeah. understand and feel yeah. that because that, that was my life. <laughs> so Yeah. And to, to sort of, at least your teacher recognized that you had the potential for a lot of these kids. It's like, Oh my gosh, you know, the, the teacher just, just praise that they don't, you know, the one that's in the next grade up praise, they don't have this kid in their home room. Right. Right. And so we want to help those kids. And, and, you know, we also want to help, um, the environment, the learning environment that the child's in. And so, you know, once, once, uh, you've tried counseling and that really hasn't worked and that hasn't been affected, then we start to talk about medications and there are really two different classes of medications. One of the stimulants, which are the ones that work the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are the non-stimulants. So stimulants are wonderful when they work, but stimulants are always going to have side effects. And so the trick with ADHD treatment is you really want to go in there and you want to balance what is the strength and dosing of medication that's going to help this child function well without causing too many side effects. Mm -hmm. So the stimulant side effects are what you think they would be. And so kids don't sleep well, they don't eat well, they can have high blood pressure, which is, which is more rare. They can have headaches, but really the sleeping and eating are the main issues. And so we'll have kids sometimes that will just plummet in their weight. And a lot of these are skinny little kids to start with. And so we have to do, you know, all kinds of tricks where um, we're giving, you know, a big breakfast in the morning before we give the medication. And the, the other thing with the medication is we start very low and we go fast. So you'll know the good thing about a stimulant is even the longer acting stimulants, they're out of your system within a day or two. And the short acting are out within certainly, you know, a few hours. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, pretty quickly if the medication is going to work or not, if it works and you're not having a lot of side effects, then we can go up on the dose pretty quickly. So even weekly, when I first start kids, I'm going to start on a very low dose and then I'm going to increase weekly until we get to a dose that works well. There are, uh, you know, a list as long as, as my arm of stimulants that are brand name and generic out there. So mm-hmm. most people have heard of Ritalin or Adderall, but there's all different types. They come in um, liquid solutions. There's some that come as a patch for kids that have harder time taking medication. Um, so most, most providers who do this a lot kind of have their favorite one or two that they start with, mm-hmm. but they're really all about the same within the stimulant classes. Okay. I did not know about the patch thing. That's, that's pretty good. There you is a patch, yep. yeah. especially for, you know, a lot of kids don't like to take medication. Um, so yeah. yeah, you can, you can do a patch and then there are the non-stimulants, 
Um, and these, you know, work a little less well, but for the kids that really can't tolerate the stimulant side effects or the parents really don't want them to try that, um, then you can, you can start those as well. Okay. That's very informative. If you're listening, see, there's, there's lots of <laughs> options that you can, that you can take. And I, I know that it can be crazy having to make you a little nuts, having a kid that sort of presents that way, but it's, it's not world ending and you can, uh, Obviously, the kid can get past it, and one day they too can have a podcast with forty listeners, like myself. <laughs> forty? Wow, forty! That's higher yeah. than I thought it would be, Jack. Honestly. Oh, wow! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I used to give him this hard a time when he would be constantly tapping on my shoulder yeah, when I sat yeah. in front of him. Yeah, you were actually one of my favorite classmates because, as a cheerleader, you guys always sold candy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say because of your compassion, your wit, your, um, you know, your, it's the candy. Well, you know, candy, really? that's back when gobstoppers were the big size and not the little yeah. tiny ones you get now. And yeah, those yeah. were the good days. You know, my, my parents hated it when we had the candy sales because I would eat the candy. I would spend yeah. the money and they would end up having to buy $50 worth of candy that they didn't even get. So, yeah. 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 And you occasionally pushed it to me too. You'd just be like, Hey, here, okay. give me a box. And I'm like, sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's, so that, that falls into compassion. Yeah. You know, okay. I'll take that. Yeah, I'll you take were, that. Yeah. You're compassionately helping me need to go to the dentist by giving me lots of sugar. <laughs> well, and probably all that sugar helped with your, you know, your ADHD as well. Yeah, see, I was your, I was the first person you, you ever helped with that. You know, I, I helped you with the calories. How about yes. that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because you were burning a lot of calories with all your, you know, all your hyperactivity. So, yeah. 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 I was looking out for you even then. Yeah, you were. I appreciate that. Thank you. You went above and and beyond the typical classmate. Okay. Thank you. I'll take that. You know, (laughs) but we had some good ones. We did. Now, why does your name say John Robertson? Is your name actually? That's my real name. Um, My dad was also a John, but I'm not a junior. And I have a horrible early 1900s middle name because I was named after my grandpa and my mom would refuse to call me that. And she was like, if John F. Kennedy, who was her favorite president can go by Jack, then my son can go by Jack. And so that's how uh, that, that came about. <laughs> you know, I, I think you owe it to me and your 40 listeners to just go ahead. Let's just, just tell us what that middle name is. Um, that's not going to happen. What, what did it start? What does it start with? It starts with a C. Um, Curtis, no. Cornelius. Uh, I wouldn't mind Cornelius, actually. Cornelius, that's a pretty strong name, actually. You know, Curtis yeah. isn't bad either. Come on. No, no, for it's me, not going to happen. For me, you, you know, you, I did this, you know, usually, usually I charge an honorarium for these. <laughs> <laughs> All I ask for is one, one laughable middle name. I, I can say that, that there is a, a mascot for a national brand that has the same name listeners. (laughs) I need someone. (laughs) I need someone somehow to tell us. So what, what is the brand? What's the brand? sell? Uh, if if I tell you that you'll know immediately. (laughs) 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 Champion. Your middle name is champion. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> now we know. John Champion Robertson. Yeah, it's Church's chicken. And really odd. But yeah, no, I'll 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 tell you when we're done recording. Wow. Okay. You really we're gonna keep this under wraps. Huh. Yeah, I'm I'm not really a fan of it either. I've always I've always heard though that you know if, for people that are starting a podcast you really want to you really want to reach out and and reach your viewers and and in order to do that being vulnerable you're know, really sharing something yeah uh, I've I've shared a lot and that's not going to be one of them <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll let it go I'll let it go <laughs> yeah yeah so I've seen speaking of I just went on another side quest. Because we completely went off the rails Listen, of what we were talking hey, about. Hey, I'm right with you. I felt like we, I felt like we covered ADHD. Yeah, I felt on, like we, had, we did yeah. a decent job. I think you know. On, yeah. On that note, my youngest daughter Emily said is a lot like me, and she's fine with me using her name, so I don't want anyone to get mad. Um, we would, <laughs> my wife would try to say something to us, and then we would go off on these tangents that would last like. 30 or 45 minutes of us just going off on this thing. And my wife would just stand there, just looking at us, trying to say the things she wanted to say, getting madder and madder at us mm -hmm. as we're going off on these, on this road that we're feeding each other in. And oh, we're sure. both just dying laughing and having a ball. And my wife is just getting mad. And uh, Emily thought that we needed to have a reality show called two people two cool people in a grump <laughs> and every episode would end with my wife going, I'm not really mad or grumpy all the time. It's just them. <laughs> hey, I love it. I would tune in. I would absolutely tune in. Although, you know, I think I'd probably be more in that, in the grump category as well. Just people let's get back to task. We just got to get through this. You know, we, yeah. could, we could go off the rails after that, but yeah, 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 that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that I never had the, you know, the oppositional parent-child sort of deal going on with with her. Uh, my eldest daughter, we fought a little more, but my son and my youngest daughter, we never really had that issue. And but you know, I think you bring up a good point because, uh, you know, if if these behaviors are sort of the first time they've been seen in the family. You know, the kid can not only get a, a poor reputation at school, they can also kind of get the reputation in the family, you know, mm -hmm. of being the one yeah. that's difficult, of being the one that, you know, you can't go out to restaurants because of that kid or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the one that makes things difficult. And so it really does affect family dynamics. You know, mm -hmm. I, I talk to people who are adults with ADHD and it's like, I, you know, my, my family really kind of labeled me as x y or z mm -hmm. and so i think that's the other reason why it's really important if you have a kid that is kind of having some of these behaviors you know get it checked out because yeah. Yeah, they may outgrow it it may be totally normal but it may also be something that um, is causing them a few issues now but could cause them a whole lot of issues later on in their adult life yeah yeah emily my youngest daughter she is incredibly compassionate and that's one of my favorite things about her in one of the before we moved out to the country where we lived in more at her elementary school there was a, a a girl she had some sort of developmental issue with her legs she had to wear braces needed a, a you know a crutch to walk and emily would get mad because sometimes kids weren't nice to her and that would upset emily 
And one day I was coming home from work and her friend that lived down the street had gotten a, a bike that was specially made for her. And she was riding that bike. And so I got home and I was like, hey, Emily, your friend's out. She, her bike came in and Emily was like, can I go ride bikes with her dad? And I'm like, uh, Emily, you're grounded right now. I was like, but I know this means a lot to you. So yes, you can go down there. And so Emily hopped on her bike, rode down there. And she was so happy for her friend in that stems from her, her compassion and, you know, that she has for other people. And I've always, I've always loved that she roots for the underdog, that that's like her personality. I love that. And, you know, that that's actually really common in kids yeah. that, um, yeah, have struggled in, in some ways. Um, and, you know, also, I think that's probably a good testament to your parenting as well. Mm-hmm. It's really okay. nice when you see, you know, your, your kids being compassionate and caring for others. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of related to that, that bike, um, when we, the church we went to, kids could get points if they memorized Bible verses and everything. And my son was working to save up for the Xbox that they had. And it was something like, I don't know, like 4,000 points. And he was working to get it, working to get it. And he got to like 3,600 points and someone beat him to it. And he was, he was mad because <laughs> they didn't just like replace the thing when it was gone. And so he turned to me and he said, dad, I know that Emily has kind of outgrown her first bike and there's a girl's bike in there. So I'm going to use my points to get her the bike. Oh, oh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, sure. So that's what he did. And uh, the church pointed out that he was the first person to have ever earned points that high to get it as a gift for someone else. So, oh, did you yeah. get him the Xbox? He, he got the Xbox and eventually, <laughs> okay. yeah, and he, uh, eventually nice. Yeah. He, uh, we would get, he'd get Xbox games for Christmas and he'd have them all beat before Christmas or school started back. <laughs> oh, always video frustrating. Games. No yeah, video yeah. games. You yeah. know, you gotta, gotta love them. You know, the, the parent's best friend. It's like, oh my gosh, I need 30 minutes of alone time. But you know, then it's like, oh gosh, three hours later. Oh, you're still playing. Yeah. 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 He, uh, I would occasionally go in and play with him just cause I, I always felt that as a parent time is your, your most precious thing that your kids want more than anything. Definitely. So I'd go in there and play games with him and usually just be destroyed by whatever it was we were doing. Of course. He was so Humbling. much better than me. Humbling. Yes. Yeah. But you know, that all worked out for him because even though he's on the spectrum, he still was in the air force and he operated satellites and had ultra high clearance levels. And now in the civilian world, he's does something. Um, I honestly don't know because he legally can't tell us, but okay. So well, let, let that be a, a thing. If you or your child has autism, you can totally go and just do whatever you want to in life. Absolutely. And you know, I've found, you know, in caring for children with autism, uh, it, it's hard on the parents, mm-hmm. but sometimes the kids are just as happy as could be. And it's like, you know, this is, this is a pretty great thing. And, you know, it's, it's the stories of you sort of, when you, when you may get a diagnosis early on, you kind of have to grieve the way things you thought things might go. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, you know, this is, this is a wonderful life. This kid's had. You know, and so yeah. I don't know. It's 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 kind of neat to see 
kids that, you know, you, you think something's going to quote, hold them back or, um, you know, cause them to not have a wonderful life. And turns out that's not really true at all. The mm. thing I really yeah. love about this younger generation too, is how supportive they are of each mm-hmm. other. You know, you, you look on people want to, you know, uh, talk poorly about social media, but you look at TikTok and Instagram and, you know, Snapchat and you read what kids are saying to each other and is bullying out there, of course, but mostly what they're doing is totally building each other up, Mm -hmm. supporting each other, not tolerating bullying, um, accepting people exactly as they are. Um, being very proud about, you know, the, the struggles that they've had and sharing those openly. So I don't know, I I think our, I think our uh, futures in, in good hands with this younger generation, especially around the openness around what's neurotypical and what isn't and who cares anyway. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And sort of what you were saying there, I mean, your kid doesn't have to have autism to not sort of meet what you thought they were going to do. I love sports. My son absolutely hates them. And it's not because he's autistic. It's because he doesn't like them. He just exactly. doesn't get them. Yes. Which is why back to video games. I banned him from watching football because that was the only video game I could beat him in because I know football and he doesn't. <laughs> You're like, son, you cannot play. What's it called? Is that Madden? Yeah. That, yeah. One of the yeah. Madden games. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't for you. I, I have to occasionally win for my ego. Yeah. Dad, dad's ego cannot <laughs> take being stomped on every time we play together, son. I love that. You know, yeah, that's, yeah, that's but, wonderful. So mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter what, yeah, you know, if your kid is neurotypical or not, they're not going to be into what you want them to be into. It, it doesn't matter. So let your kid just be who they are. Yes. Yes. And that's, I mean, that was hard for me as a parent. You know, you, you feel like if your kids aren't doing kind of exactly what you did, something's wrong or, you know, what, mm-hmm. like, no, they're, it's kind of an interesting life lesson as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. My, a, good, a good one too. Yeah. My oldest daughter is nine years older. Than, my, than Emily, my youngest daughter. And she often talks about how they had two different sets of parents, <laughs> even though we were the same, <laughs> you know, because uh, my oldest daughter was the, you know, the experiment kid. And, you know, we were teenagers when we had her and we got married very young. And so, you know, with her, we were trying to do everything right and perfect and all of that. Well, by the time we got to Emily, I would go grocery shopping with Emily and she would have two shoes that didn't match with socks that didn't match wearing her Halloween costume. And yes, yes. Who cares? And (laughs) Misty would be like, you'd never let me go to the store like that. And I'm like, I'm just happy. She has clothes on, (laughs) you know, that I don't care if her socks match. None of that stuff matters. Oh yeah. (laughs) She she is ready to go. (laughs) So first time um, parents. Yeah, I'll see first-time parents, especially, you know, around introduction of new foods, right? And it's like the first-time parents, they're waiting until that six-month mark. They're waiting four days between new foods. It's baby foods only, Mm -hmm. and they're doing all the right things. And then I'll see a six-month-old who's, you know, the fourth kid, and it's like they're on table food. And, you know, it's it's just (laughs) funny. It's like the, the rules become much more, much more loose with the subsequent children, for sure. You definitely learn what's important and what's less important and to let the sort of less important things go. Absolutely. Yeah. And the autism to sort of circle back around. I did it. I I remembered 
sort wow. of a point. Um, it's impressive. Can, can you please tell us from your professional medical experience that autism is not caused by vaccines, oh. that Dr. Andrew Wakefield made all of that up and was just... This has been one of, I would say this has been probably the most disheartening part of my career in 20 years in pediatrics is seeing the rise in um, parents who are hesitant uh, or refuse to vaccinate. And I will start by saying I have never had a parent be vaccine hesitant or refuse to vaccinate because they don't care about their kid. Mm. It's in fact, quite the opposite. They are terrified of the things that they read and that they see, and nobody really knows what good sources are. And they're really scary, scary stories. Mm -hmm. And so when families, when people have not seen these diseases for decades, because vaccines work, Mm -hmm. you don't see these diseases because vaccines work. They don't see the tens of thousands of children that died every year from vaccine preventable disease. Mm -hmm. And so giving their child a vaccine seems somehow more dangerous than doing nothing. When in fact, if your kid is the only one who isn't being vaccinated in wherever you live, or if you, especially if you plan to never, ever travel, never get on a plane, never have anybody travel to where you are, your kid's going to be just fine. But mm-hmm. in the world that we live in, you know, the more people that we have choosing to not vaccinate their children, we are going to see a resurgence of these diseases. And in fact, we already have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it breaks my heart. And it's the one thing that I feel, you know, why I love pediatrics is I love helping families raise their mm-hmm. kids. It's just pure joy. But to not be able to reach families Um, and not figure out how to get them to trust me and trust science and trust medicine on this. It's, um, it's, it's really pretty devastating. Yeah. Yeah. It it really is. Uh, I was reading, I was reading earlier this year that polio is down to only being in two countries now, Afghanistan and Pakistan. And it's in the more sort of remote parts of the country where it's harder to get to and, somebody that would be, you probably don't want to be in Afghanistan (laughs) trying to give vaccines at the moment, just because that's sort of a rough place to be. So I get why that would be, you know, the last place on earth that would have it. But polio is no joke. (laughs) We do not want that to come back. No joke. And you know that it's just going to be a slippery slope. I just am very, I'm very worried and sad that it's going to take truly another epidemic before people will realize, oh gosh, this, this really is a serious disease. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And this is something, you know, we, we have seen children die of vaccine preventable disease. You know, we see that every year Mm -hmm. at the hospital. And so, you know, it's just always heartbreaking. And it's, again, it's never a parent that intended, you know, I want to do something dangerous to my child. They just didn't understand, you know, they just, they've, they've just been given misinformation. So. And, Okay, I was in the army and they would give us vaccines every six months, whether we needed them or not. And it was the same vaccines every time, every six months. And I, I lived, (laughs) I was, I was overly exposed to the vaccines. And then when we got deployed uh, to Kuwait in 1996, even though 
literally two months beforehand, we had got all of our vaccines. We had to get them all, but then we had to get other ones too that normally they, you know, they yep. don't give you that were sort of specific for that part of the world. Yep. And yep. then they experimented on me and gave me the anthrax vaccine. Um, it's a theory I have, but it, it's a good one because all of us had to get this particular one. They told us it was hepatitis, but we had to get the hepatitis vaccine, but it was a new shot for it. And then a year and a half later, the army announced they had an anthrax vaccine. And I was like, oh, I was a control group. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were one of the, the early ones in the group. Yeah, yeah. You but know, I was fine. <laughs> well, the evidence is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming that vaccines are safe. And, you know, it, it, it's just a shame kind of where we are now. Um, and so I talk to my parents that refuse vaccines every single time. There are pediatricians who are now refusing to see families that refuse to vaccinate. Mm. Um, but you know, that's, that hasn't been my stance on it. It's like, mm -hmm. I feel like every time I see them, I, I kind of make a deal. Look, every time I see you, you know, we're, we're going to sort of respect each other through this process, but I care about your kid. That's the only thing I care about is your child's health. And as long as you you can put up with me talking with you about vaccines at every single visit, then I'm going to be okay with, you know, you, you remaining hesitant, or maybe there's a compromise where, you know, I have some families where they have a very complex vaccination schedule, but it's what makes them feel good mm -hmm. about the timeline. And to me, it's like, I'd love for everyone to be vaccinated on time, but Hey, if there's a timeline that works for you that you're willing to do, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. 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 And, you know, sort of on that note, nobody ever is afraid to get their, their dog or cat vaccinated because everybody knows that your dog or cat needs that. Not that I'm calling your children, you know, comparing them to, you know, to an animal like that, but I love my pets enough to make sure that they won't get rabies. And like you said, it's not that they don't love their kid and want to harm them, but just remember that I'd much rather have a vaccine than mumps. Oh, well, I mean, you know, and, and mumps causes sterility in males and, you know, it's it, the, the long-term health outcomes for some of these diseases that mind you, we had eradicated and mm -hmm. our back are yeah. just horrible. Um, meningitis and you know, pertussis in young babies. Pertussis kills thousands of young babies mm -hmm. a year. They're too little yeah. to be vaccinated. So please, um, people, here's your plug. Get your <laughs> children vaccinated and yeah. get, your, get your own vaccines as well. Emmeline, due to various health issues, frequently was admitted into Children's Hospital as a, as a child because she had very, very severe asthma. And there was a, a child that was in there and um, had meningitis. And over the course of six months, Emily was admitted to the hospital three different times. And that kid was in the hospital that entire time. And each time we went through, um, another limb had been lost due to the meningitis. And it just broke my heart walking past that room every single time. It was, it was just so awful. <laughs> and you don't, you know, these are the things that's like, do, do you show parents that won't give vaccines, these types of things? You know, I don't want to horrify people. Right. I don't want to terrify people, but it's like, this is the reality. Yeah. You know, most kids that aren't vaccinated end up like this. No, but there's a better chance that your child is going to get sick from a vaccine preventable disease, maybe not die or have limbs amputated 
but there's a much better chance of your child getting ill and perhaps critically so than your child having an effect from the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just plain science. That's just data. So yeah, it, it, it can be, it can be, I think, frustrating um, and scary for both sides, but I think mm-hmm. finding a, finding a doctor that you trust, I think is probably the first step. Yes, 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 definitely. And sort of while we're on the subject of sort of vaccines and everything, I'm not going to get into the the current uh, sort of pandemic because that's a podcast in itself, but could you, could you please (laughs) tell us that, um, that masks, whether they're cloth or not actually are effective and it doesn't matter that things can be smaller because when it comes out of your, uh, you know, your mouth or your nose, it's connected to the moisture in your breath, not free floating. And the uh, masks are, are good. <laughs> yes. I think, um, yeah, I don't, I guess I have a, I have kind of a bit of a hard time understanding the huge aversion to masks um, because it seems to me a relatively simple thing mm-hmm. that there's a lot of scientific evidence behind, especially when you have two masks, which is both parties are wearing the mask, even a cloth mask. Right, right now, right. if you're going to be around somebody, if you're a healthcare provider, you, a cloth mask is not going to be sufficient, um, especially if you're working with somebody who's COVID positive or you're concerned is mm. COVID positive. Um, but yeah, there's, there's all sorts of, of, I think, really helpful schematics. That's the one that I like to show mm. my families um, that shows kind of the percentage of one person wearing a mask that has COVID and transmitting to someone who doesn't, and then, you know, kind of takes you through each of the scenarios. So -hmm. you have two people without COVID risk of transmission. And um, even with the cloth mask, the risk of transmission is lowered by over 90%. It's, you know, it, again, it's sort of one of those overwhelming scientific facts. um, And there have been a lot of really interesting mask studies that have done, even that have been done Mm -hmm. even at children's hospital, where they are looking at, kind of like what you were talking about, those particles and can you transmit and, you know, as far as how much is the leak around the sides. Um, and it shows that even with the typical mask that, that people wear every day, it really does reduce your, your risk of transmission. Mm-hmm. And, and for those that are vaccinated, you know, especially with new variants coming, mm-hmm. you know, no one really kind of knows how much it affects carrier status. And so we still are encouraging folks, especially now with new variants popping up, um, and with the, the Delta on the rise still to please wear your masks in public. Yeah. I got my booster yesterday, actually. Ooh, uh, and you're here today. How are you feeling? I, I'm, I feel fantastic. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm team Pfizer. Yes. Uh, my wife is team, team Moderna. Okay. And All she right. got her booster a couple of weeks ago. We decided okay. not to do it on the same weekend in case we both sort of had side effects. So one of us could take care of the other if that was the case, but I think that's really smart. Yes. Yeah. So. And you know, the boosters like the original, you know, the, yeah. the original vaccine, you can get a little bit of fever and some body aches and things like that. And that's normal immune system response. So yeah. I'd rather have a weekend of feeling like I have a cold versus I'm going to be honest with you. I'm cheap and I don't want to have my copay <laughs> for being in an ICU. <laughs> You know, there's a really, really big price to pay, and it's not just financial. And I got to tell you, um, you know, even if you don't have COVID, if you need ICU care or emergency care, 
depending upon where you live, you may be out of luck. Mm-hmm. It is really, really scary right now. I mean, our ICUs yeah. are full, our ERs are full, and you know, you you have a heart attack or you are in some sort of horrible accident. You know, the, the a bed is a bed is a bed, and once all those beds are taken by folks with COVID particularly those that aren't vaccinated because they're going to get the sickest Then even folks that are doing the the right thing and getting Mm. vaccinated and just having normal bad stuff happen. um, They're, they're not going to, they're not going to take care of the need. Well, I'm going to sort of end talk on the pandemic with this one thought. And while it is a bit graphic, it 100% makes sense. You cannot have a pee corner in a swimming pool. (laughs) That is a nice way of, of saying that. That is exactly right. You uh, just, you can't, if, you really cannot. Yeah. Yep. If you have a hundred people in a pool and 10 of them go to a corner and pee, all hundred people are going to have pee on them. That is, that is correct. <laughs> and, you know, and the people that pee in the pool though, they tend to run with other people that pee in the pool. And so yes. what you want to do is not get in a pool with, with peers. peers. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, we could probably just stop the podcast. Just yeah. Right, right there. And with that, right we've there, solved we'll all the world's problems. It. Maybe a t-shirt. <laughs> right. Right. But I know it's sort of gross and graphic, but I mean, that explains it in a way that sometimes can get through to a person. You have it to does. Be it a little does. Crude it's, sometimes. Yes. It's very visual. Uh-huh. The diffusion so, of yeah. your, yes. But yeah, no, we can uh, move on. I just, I've talked about those things in other podcasts and I thought, well, I have somebody who's actually, you know, has doctor in front of their name. So I might want to, uh, to have her speak on that for, (laughs) for a moment. Happy to, happy to. Yes. People, please, 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 please get vaccinated, vaccinate your children, wear masks. It's just, it's simply the right thing to do until we get a handle on this and get a better Mm -hmm. hold on it. Um, I, personally do not believe there is any sort of conspiracy or hoax. Um, you know, as I say to my patients, it's like, you have to believe that I'm either in on this or I'm being duped as well. And, you know, fortunately, most of the time, I guess, fortunately, they say, well, we think you're being duped, you know, you just, you're not in on it. Um, and that, frankly, that's a hard thing to argue, right? Because they're very embedded in that notion. And so um, anyway, we just keep trying, but yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, do you really think there's a vast worldwide conspiracy where they manufactured a disease? All the world leaders decided, yeah, we're, we're, we're down on this. We're in, so that we're people in. would get sick so they could create a fake vaccine that's going to melt your DNA. All of the millions of people that would need to be in on it and not one person has talked. Movie studios can't keep scripts secret. It's, it, would be a, it, would, it would be a lot of effort. I, I could almost conceive yeah. of almost easier ways to go about, you know, like mass takeover of the population. Like poison Budweiser. <laughs> right. I mean, that would be faster. Well, I mean, some segments of the population, like the, the I, I might even go as far as to say the pool peers might right. be at higher risk. In yeah. The- well, they probably want, I mean, maybe some Budweiser and some Natty Light. Natty Light. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no. Anyway, I've I've just thought that's even convoluted for a Bond villain. It, it, you know, it really is. That it's a nice way of putting that. Yeah, or it's just yeah. the virus. You know, that's if we natural. were watching, if we were watching a movie, we'd be like, oh, come on. 
please. Yeah. Yeah. Please. The, one, the one good thing is I now know that if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, the people not to have in my camp, because if they get bit, they will not tell anyone. <laughs> so there's that. You know, I, I love your ability to see the silver lining. That's amazing. It, you know, if you can't laugh when there's a shit storm going on. Exactly. <laughs> you know, just what are we worse. all doing here? That's yeah, right. you, you have to be able to laugh. And I'm almost past the point of anger with some of this. So <laughs> laughing's all we can do. You know, it, it, it just, um, it just, you, you do have to laugh because you got to cope with it somehow, but mm -hmm. man, it just yeah. is, is really devastating when you look at the numbers though. Yeah. You look yeah. at people that are sick that don't have to be, you look at, at kids um, that get the disease or lose parents or lose loved ones. And mm -hmm. um, you just, you know, you, you want to, you want to encourage folks to try and make good decisions around it, but. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll end with that's it. Make good decisions. You know, you don't want your kids to grow up without a mom or a dad. And exactly. We'll just move on from there. Um, so is there any sort of anything else you wanted to uh, throw at us uh, about ADHD or even autism, if you want, since we've spoken about autism a little bit or anything like that before we uh, end the show? Um, the only other thing that I would comment on is I think that stimulants have also gotten a bad uh, rap because they are controlled substances and people mm -hmm. can definitely develop addiction um, and Ritalin use is very high among college students, um, even among health professional students. It helps people study it helps people stay awake and so i think if you have a child with a prescription or if you have a teenager you just kind of have to be aware I, I always tell parents you know make sure how many pills you have you stay on top of those because there is just a huge um you know and and worrisome use of of stimulants out on the black market mm -hmm. um and so i think you know not making these drugs any sort of villain um, right. you know, and knowing that they are life changing for many children mm -hmm. when used in the right way and correctly. So um, because something can be um, abused doesn't mean that it shouldn't be used in the right scenario. So right. kind of both sides of the coin, you know, be aware that it does have that abusive uh, property, but don't withhold that from your kids as a treatment option mm -hmm. um, yeah. just because you're worried about that. I, I can't say looking back because I was diagnosed in the seventies when it wasn't even called, you know, ADD or ADHD. I was just hyperactive. There was no medication for it. Nope. And at the time, uh, my, the doctors put me on a diet of foods that they thought contributed mm -hmm. to it. Yes. And it's funny because one of the things I wasn't allowed to eat was tomato products because I guess they thought that contributed. And the end result of that is to this day, I cannot eat ketchup. It grosses me out. I eat spaghetti without spaghetti sauce. And when I order pizza, I get it with light sauce because I do want some of it on there, but I get it with, with light sauce. Wow. But at the same time, I also wasn't allowed to eat chocolate and I have no such aversion to that. Now that <laughs> 
that, sir, that is a travesty. So I'm glad you've you've uh, overcome that hurdle as a result, because that would be very sad indeed. Yeah, but I definitely think looking back, if there would have been a, a medication option for me, it probably would have been beneficial for me in school. Yeah. Yep. So. And again, it's just a joy seeing these kids, you know, that get put on medication and it just turns their lives around. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, parents, if you're on the fence, you know, any listeners out there, if you're on the fence about, does my kid have this or please call your child's provider. We, um, we are happy to evaluate and, you know, brings us joy as well. Seeing, seeing these mm -hmm. kids do better. So. All right. Um, do you have any sort of, cause I'm going to go ahead and end it. I think we've pretty much talked about everything. Very informative. I thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Is there any sort of thing that do you have? Like, I don't know, a, a blog, a, anything like a website that you could, you want to direct people to if they want more information about that or anything you want to sort of plug before we end the show here? Um, you know, I really, I don't have any sort of personal blog or, but there are, there is OU Health has a virtual platform. You don't have to be um, a patient of ours. So if you have questions about your kids and you'd like your kid to be seen, especially through a telehealth, these are telehealth visits. Um, they are happy to answer questions as well. So that would be, um, you know, the only, and I can't remember, I just know it's, oh, you could, you could Google OU health telemedicine for kids. Um, okay. if, if somebody doesn't have a primary care provider or needs their kids seen urgently and aren't sure if, if they need to bring them in or not. So that would be my only suggestion, but, uh, otherwise, no, we're always happy to take new patients, um, at children's and, um, Look forward to partnering with parents in any way we can. All right. Well, once again, I appreciate you coming on. This has My been pleasure. very informative. I really feel good knowing that I'm doing all right for somebody this old that has had these issues for this long. I think you and really are. I have to say, I mean, you know, the jury's still out a little bit, of course, well, but you know, it was, you know, it was kind of out back when you were sitting behind me in 1990, right, right. but you know, yeah. we had good times. We were good yeah. friends. We yeah, had I was I was a conundrum because I was in honors world history, but it took me two and a half times to pass algebra one. So <laughs> <laughs> always a mystery. Yeah. I mean, I have a little mystery about it. If I liked the subject, I was going to get an A. Uh huh. If I didn't, I was not going to get an A. <laughs> you know, it's some of these, some of the kids with ADHD are smarter than any other kid because it's like, my gosh, if they have ADHD and they're making good grades, the, the struggle and the work and the effort that that takes is exponential. And mm -hmm. so, you know, recognizing these kids and, you know, giving them that, giving them that validation, mm -hmm. really important. Yeah. So, yeah. Kudos to you in your honors world history, sir. <laughs> that, that's my one advanced course that I had. <laughs> if there was advanced reading, I could have been in that, but anyway. <laughs> well, so, I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. Yes. Um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being a guest. And I'm going to, even though I know that I occasionally use strong language, I'm still going to end the show how I always do, because this is a goal of mine. And that is to remember everybody, try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud. That's a lovely ending. Here, yes. here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Have a great one. 
Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.